I'm glad to be back with you again uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Southern Seminary is, is where I uh, hail from, at least in recent years. Uh, I, the last two times I've been with you in the past months, I have focused on different aspects of Christ. You may remember we took a look at uh, uh, Christ in his eternal state as the eternal word of the Father from John 1, verses 1 to 5, uh, a few months back. And then I came uh, more recently and talked about Christ in his second coming from Psalm 2 and the glory of Christ as he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all the nations and brings righteousness to the world. What a glorious day that will be. And this sermon I thought would be fitting in light of at least that emphasis that I had brought to you on on Christ uh, because it is true that really Christ is the centerpiece of the Christian life. I mean, we know that Christ is the centerpiece of the Bible. You know, Jesus himself taught his disciples in Luke 24 concerning himself from the law, the prophets, and the writings, which are really the the three-part division of the Old Testament. And so, really, the whole of the Bible, its its central figure uh, is is, uh, among the Trinitarian persons. Christ is central in that. Um, Of course, you might say God is central. Of course, that's true. But uh, as Father, Son, and Spirit, the Father puts the Son forward. Look at my Son. Think of at the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration. Look at my Son. And the Spirit seeks to to lift up Jesus and glorify Jesus. Well, likewise, not only in the Bible, but in our own lives as Christians, Christ is to have a central place uh, in how we understand how we became Christians and how we grow in Christ, and, and so on. So, the sermon this morning, the title, and you'll find a, an outline in your worship folder if you haven't discovered that yet, it's in there. The title is Beholding Christ's Glory, Becoming Christ's Likeness. And indeed, these two things go together, beholding the glory of Christ and becoming the likeness of Christ uh, are intimately connected in Scripture. The means and the goal of conversion, by what means are people converted? And we'll see this more in just a moment. Answer, they behold Christ's glory. And what is the goal of people's conversion? Answer, becoming Christ's likeness. So beholding Christ's glory is how we come to Christ and grow in Christ. And the goal is ultimately that we be like Christ. Beholding His glory, becoming His likeness is really a central way of understanding the purpose of God for us, his people, as we grow in the Christian life. So what I want to do in this sermon this morning, instead of working through one text as I normally do, and probably your pastors here normally do as well, uh, what I'd like to do is develop a theme for you uh, from a number of passages of Scripture that highlight how Christ is central in four ways we'll look at this morning from the points you'll see of the outline there. First of all, in coming to Christ, how how we are converted, we'll see that beholding Christ is central to that. And then secondly, growing in Christ. We sometimes call that progressive sanctification. Growing in Christ, beholding Christ's glory is central to that as well. Then third, uh, becoming fully like Christ in our glorification, being made like Him fully Again, beholding Christ's glory is central to that. And then, this is a, an area that a lot of Christian people I don't think have, have realized is taught in the Bible, and that's our enduring eternal transformation in Christ's likeness happens because we behold the likeness of Christ forever in heaven. 
So these four stages of conversion, sanctification, glorification, and our eternal transformation in heaven, all of them are the, uh, a function of beholding the glory of Christ. So let's look at these four together. Uh, it's really quite amazing. I just uh, uh, love thinking about these things and am glad to be able to do this with you this morning. First of all, beholding Christ's glory in conversion. If you would, in your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And here Paul is speaking about the gospel that he's received, this precious gift that is his, that he is presenting to other people. And yet so often, uh, that gospel is rejected by other people. Some receive it, some don't. What makes the difference? So we read in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, that is to unbelievers who are destined for hell unless they come to Christ. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of what? Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what is it that keeps people from coming to faith in Christ, even though they hear of Him, even though they maybe witness Him? You think of people during Jesus' own day, the Pharisees who rejected Christ and at the end of, of Jesus' life, you know, are crying out, crucify Him. They don't want to follow Him, and yet they saw Him, they heard Him, they witnessed His miracles. You remember in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus performed a miracle, and the Pharisees responded by saying, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So they viewed Him as Satan-inspired, not Holy Spirit-inspired. As Jesus responded, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the king, kingdom of God has come upon you. So indeed, here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who, who, uh, who performs miracles to testify of His messianic identity, and they reject Him. Why would this be the case? Though they see Him, though they hear Him, though, though, though He performs these miracles, they reject Him. Well, here's the answer in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Oh, yes, they can see Jesus, but they don't like Him. They don't want Him. They don't see His glory. They see Him not as glorious. They see Him as hideous, as repulsive, they reject Him. I mean, this is very similar, isn't it, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is to those who are perishing, what? Foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? So until God does a work to remove the blindness of our eyes, now this blindness is not a blindness that keeps us from actually seeing Christ, hearing His words. But it's a blindness of heart, you might say, right? It's a blindness by which we do not want to believe. We do not want to accept. We do not accept as true. We do not accept, surely we do not accept as beautiful and glorious and, 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 and wise and good that who Christ is and what the gospel is. Until God does a work to remove the blindness of our eyes, to see Christ now for who He really is, to see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, then 
we come to Christ. So read on with me in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4. So in verse 4, he's made the point of all unbelievers, all who are perishing, this is true of them, that the God of this world has blinded their minds so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And then he goes on, verses 5 and 6. For we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see it? So the God who said, let there be light, that is physical light, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us spiritual light, as it were. Spiritual ability now to see the glory of Christ and to come to Him. So we see Him as God and human and, and, and the glory of the Messiah. We see Him for who He is, but only when God does this work within us to, to, to be able to see what we could not see before. So indeed, my friends, don't, don't be surprised as you bear witness of your faith to unbelievers if their response is, I think that's ridiculous. I think that's foolish. Guess what? We're told in the Bible that will happen. We're told in the Bible that people who are outside of faith, outside of Christ, see the things of the faith and they think of them as ridiculous, as foolish, as a stumbling block, as something to be rejected. Uh, as as uh, they're very patronizing. Oh yeah, that's fine for you, you know, because you're weak and feeble and so you need that faith. They think of it that way. But when their eyes are opened, oh my goodness, they then see Christ for who He truly is. The glory, the majesty, the beauty, the wisdom, the greatness and grace of Christ and they come. You know, I just was, I was in the Bay Area this past weekend near, near Berkeley, California, and it reminded me of a story of a conversion of a, of a man uh, there. His name is uh, uh, Philip Johnson, and uh, he was the chairman of the law department at Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, the chairman of the law department. I mean, obviously, one of the most prestigious positions in all of the country. And uh, he was not a believer. In fact, he mocked the Christian faith quite a bit. I mean, it's very much like, you know, what we've been talking about. He, he heard the claims of Christ and, and so on, but he mocked it. But one day he was asking, he and his wife were involved in a separation that eventually became a divorce, and he was responsible for their daughter. And the mother wanted her to go to this vacation Bible school at a church. And so his responsibility was to pick her up afterwards. So he got there early, sat in the back row of this church, while a youth worker in the church presented the gospel to the children up in the front of the church. He sat there in the back, invisible to the eye of the youth worker, and he heard the gospel, and he was quickened to his heart. The Lord obviously opened his eyes to see this is true, and he could not shake it. He tried, but he could not shake it, and two weeks later, he, he, he went to his knees, he, he bowed to his knees, and he repented of his sin and believed in Christ and was saved. And, and he has become a, uh, uh, an amazing apologist for the Christian faith. You can imagine what that mind he has, you know, and uh, he's been just very, very helpful to us in, as a Christian people in, 
a variety of different ways. But in any case, I mean, it's just an illustration of this that the unbeliever rejects this because they think it's ridiculous. They think it's foolish. But when the Spirit does a work to open blind eyes, notice the Spirit has to do that. God has to do that. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, right, is the one who shines spiritual light within us. So he's the one who has to do it. So indeed, as we bear witness, we realize many, many people are going to reject it. But those upon whom God has set his seal, God has chosen from the foundation of the world, he will bring them to faith. He will help them see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, and they will come. So indeed, our conversion happens when we behold Christ as he is. We can only behold him as he is when the Spirit takes the blinders away and we see Christ now as beautiful Savior, glorious Redeemer, kind and gracious and forgiving uh, Messiah that has come to save us from our sins. That is the work of the Spirit to open our eyes to behold Christ to be saved. Okay, that's just the beginning of beholding Christ. That's not the end of it. We don't become Christians and, okay, well, that's it. No, beholding Christ that begins the Christian life continues in the Christian life so that we can grow more and more in Christ. So now let's move on to Roman numeral three on your uh, outline this morning. Beholding Christ's glory in our sanctification in our sanctification. And here, we don't have to turn far from where we just were uh, in, uh, in, in, Ephi- in, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4. Just go back to the end of chapter 3. <clears throat> to the end of chapter 3. Paul writes in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Ah, so here we have another uh, passage that speaks about beholding Christ. This Paul says, we behold as in a mirror. So we, we don't see Christ as we one day will see him face to face. Praise be to God, that day is coming. But right now, it's like seeing Christ in a mirror, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord Jesus. What happens as we see the glory of Christ as Christians, as those who now, as Paul says in verse 18, with unveiled faces? The veil has been removed for us who are believers. We now see Christ is Lord and Savior. We now see Christ is glorious Messiah. We now see Christ is the risen Lord. We see Him right? But what happens as we see him more? We behold his glory more. We are being transformed, he says, from glory to glory. I think the meaning of that is in incrementally increasing degrees of glory. From glory to glory, yet more and more like Christ, bit by bit, little by little, more like him tomorrow than today, more, more like him today than yesterday, right? So beholding the glory of Christ, we, 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 we are transformed from glory to glory. And who's the agent in us who helps us see Christ and become so transformed? This is from the Lord, the Spirit. Interesting, by the way, this is just a footnote here. It's interesting uh, where the Spirit here is referred to Lord in the very same verse where Jesus is referred to as Lord. 
It's one of the evidences, one of many evidences, for the deity of the Spirit. Where Christ is Lord, and because he's just referred to Christ as Lord, who is the God-man, to, to refer to the Spirit then as Lord indicates the deity of the Spirit. And the reason that is important in this verse is because only God can show us the glory of Christ and by that conform us more and more into the very likeness of Christ. Do you see that? So the Spirit comes to help us see, to help us gaze upon, behold the glory of Christ. And as we behold the glory of Christ, we become increasingly like Christ. So let, let me just take you to a couple other passages to help you get more of a framework for this. One is in John 16. I won't, I won't uh, take, take time to turn there with you, but let me just remind you what is there. This is in John 16 where Jesus has told his disciples that he is going to be leaving. In fact, in verse 7 of John 16, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And you go, what? How could that be? And the answer is because if I don't go, you won't receive the Spirit. But if I go, the Spirit who has been upon me, I will send to you. You will become a recipient of that Spirit. And then he says in, in, uh, in, in verses 13 and 14, that when the Spirit comes, he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears from me, that is from Jesus, that's what he will speak. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So indeed, everything that the Spirit seeks to do, that is not a hyperbolic statement. That is not an exaggerated claim, that everything, it's true. Everything the Spirit seeks to do is in one way or another tied to elevating, glorifying, and enhancing the beauty and the majesty of Christ. And he does that in us as we behold the glory of Christ. He helps us see the radiance of Christ, the beauty and the wisdom, the, the compassion, the kindness, uh, the, 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 the righteousness and justice of Christ. He helps us see that, and as we see that, he works within us, 2 Corinthians 3.18, to become conformed, transformed, more and more, from glory to glory, little by little, more like Christ. His compassion becoming our compassion. His uh, righteousness, His obedience to the Father, uh, his, his sense of justice becoming more ours. Do you see it? So all that is Christ in how He lives His life is replicated, as it were, by the Spirit in us as He conforms us more and more to the image of Christ. This is what he is all about, is, is enhancing uh, the, the, the beauty and the glory of Christ, glorifying the Son as he comes. He really, the Spirit really is not interested in self-promotion, nor should we be interested in self-promotion, right? The Spirit is interested in, can you answer or finish the sentence for me? Christ promotion, right? The Spirit is interested in Christ promotion. He will glorify me. He will take of mine, says Jesus, and disclose it to you. So indeed, this is what the Spirit is about. So here's another example of this. Uh, when you compare <clears throat> two passages of Scripture in the New Testament, Ephesians 5.18 is the more uh, well-known text with Colossians 3.16. So let me start with Ephesians 5.18. Uh, where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so on. Well, that text 
uh, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and so on. That text has a parallel in the book of Colossians. I don't know if you're aware of how much of Ephesians and Colossians are parallel to each other in many ways. Well, here's one of them. The parallel in Colossians, though, says this, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the way we know it's parallel is because the same outcome happens from each particular um, commandment. Each each imperative is followed by the participles of what will happen. You will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But in Ephesians 5.18, the cause of that is uh, be filled with the Spirit. In in Colossians 3.16, the cause of it is let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Do you see the parallel then? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Centrally, it is this. Centrally, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of Christ that the Spirit then uses to cause us to be transformed, including our speech, so that we speak to one another in in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in our hearts. So we're transformed from the inside out. How? By the Spirit who takes the Word of Christ and, and conforms us more and more into that Word. So indeed, spirit and word go together, right? I mean, it's just a beautiful thing to see that. Spirit and word go together. But in particular, the spirit who inspired the word of God, and the word of God is largely about Christ. Remember, we made that point earlier, Luke 24. The the spirit who inspired this word, the, the, the word that is principally about Christ, he uses that word to cause us to see with greater, oh, greater clarity and greater insight and, and, and greater awesomeness, the, the glory of Christ in that word. Have you ever wondered why God deemed it right and good to give us four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Isn't that kind of redundant? Isn't that, isn't that a little bit, uh, you know, overkill uh, to, to give us four accounts of the life of Christ? Ah, not if, as the Father and the Spirit... You want people to focus their gaze on Christ. So it says, as if the Father and the Spirit are saying, behold the Son in Matthew's gospel. Behold Him again in Mark's gospel. Behold Him again in Luke's gospel. Behold Him again in John's gospel. Look at Christ. Behold Him. So indeed, one of the main ways that the Spirit works to cause us to grow in Christ is as he focuses our attention on Christ, right? Beholding the glory of Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And by that, we're transformed from glory to glory, incrementally increasing degrees of glory by the work of the Spirit within us. Isn't that amazing? Now, I just want to just include one more thing here on this before we end this point. You might wonder, what, what is the mechanism by which beholding the glory of Christ's, Christ results in becoming like Christ? And I think the mechanism is what, what I learned when I was 19 years old. I've shared it with you in this church before, many years ago, but I'll, I'll share it with you again. I call it, I call what I'm about to tell you, Tozer's Principle, because I learned it from A.W. Tozer when I read his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, when I was 19 years old. It absolutely changed my life. I, I cannot even begin to tell you how much that book transformed me 
to see how great and glorious God is. But here's the principle I learned from Tozer. These are my words, not his. I could give you his also, but I'm going to give you my, my sort of paraphrase of what Tozer says. Tozer, Tozer says toward the beginning of his book this, my words, but his, his idea. God has so made us that we instinctively, naturally seek to become like whatever it is we esteem most highly. God has so made us that we instinctively, naturally seek to become like whatever it is we esteem most highly. Whatever it is we adore, we love, we cherish, we treasure, what, what, what we esteem above all else, look at it carefully because guess what? You're becoming like that. You want to take on those characteristics. One of my favorite examples of this were when, when we lived in Chicago. I used to teach at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School north, north of Chicago. And this was back in the days when Michael Jordan had just returned to the Bulls basketball team. And uh, goodness gracious, what an incredible basketball player. Uh, the Bulls were winning games and seasons and championships, you know. And uh, it was really fun to live in Chicago during those days. Well, there was a commercial that ran almost ad nauseum during those playoff seasons when the Bulls were winning these championships. And the commercial said this, I want to be like Mike, be like Mike, right? I think it was for Gatorade. I'm not positive. It might have been Nike tennis shoes. But anyway, I want to be like Mike. So, so here's the thing. Here, here's what Madison Avenue figured out. People have this, this urge within them to be like what they adore. They adored Michael Jordan. Well, here's the problem. You can't shoot like Michael Jordan. You, you can't jump like Michael Jordan, right? You, 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 can't, you can't run the court like Michael Jordan. But goodness, you can drink Gatorade like Michael Jordan. You, you can wear Nike tennis shoes like Michael Jordan. And it worked. It sold products galore because we want to be like Mike. You see it? God has so made us that we instinctively, naturally long to be like what we adore. Can you see now why He wants us to see the glory of His Son so that we become like what we adore? Oh my goodness, this is so important to see this because if Christ is not the centerpiece of your focus as you read the Bible and as you, as you think about uh, the, the truth that God has revealed to us, then, then you know, you're, you're, missing on, you're missing out on something here because seeing Christ, beholding Christ is how we grow. Let me give you two book recommendations. I, I, forgive me for this, one of, one of them is mine, but you know, the, 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 other, one is, the other one is not. Um, John Piper wrote a, a book years ago entitled Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. If you've never read that little book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, kind of hard to say, that title. Uh, but if you've never read that, I would just heartily encourage you to read that. I read through that every few years because it just is so impactful on seeing the glory of Christ and understanding more and more of what it means to be made like Christ. Uh, I wrote a book a few years back entitled The Man Christ Jesus. And the whole purpose of that it was to help us understand 
that the life that Jesus lived, he lived as one of us. And so he really is a model for how we too, sh we too should live our lives, the man Christ Jesus. So, beholding the glory of Christ for sanctification. Now, let's move ahead. Roman numeral four, beholding the glory of Christ for glorification, for glorification. And here, the primary text right off the bat is Romans 8, uh, 29 and 30, where <clears throat> we, we realize that this was the design of the Father from the very beginning, is that we be like Christ in the end. Not like Adam per se, right? We're not remade in the likeness of Adam. We're remade in the likeness of Christ. And this was the Father's purpose from the very beginning. So God, uh, I'm sorry, Paul says in, in uh, Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he predestined, this was the destiny that he established in advance. He predestined uh, to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we, we know that this was the plan of God from the beginning. And honestly, you ought to just pause and thank the Father for this because there's nothing better than to be made like Jesus. That, that's that's the, the epitome. That, that is the, that's the zenith. That is the top rung. There is nothing better than to be made like Christ. So the Father is bestowing upon us the greatest honor that He could, that we would be made like His Son. So He predestined before the foundation of the world that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, when will that happen in its fullness? Because it doesn't happen in its fullness in this life. Remember 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory? So in, in incrementally increasing degrees of glory, but never in its fullness in this life. But the day is coming when it will be in its fullness. Well, when is that? Well, turn to 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see it here. Beautifully stated. 1 John 3, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He, Christ, appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. You see that? So indeed, at the second coming of Christ, when we see Him, we will be like Him because we see Him as He is. So two points I want to make from this. Number one is there definitely is correlation between the second coming of Christ and our being made completely like Christ. So it doesn't happen in this life. It, it, in this life, we grow more and more and more, but we still struggle with sin. We fight sin every day of our lives. The day is going to come when sin is removed. Oh, praise be to God. Uh, Jody will really like me then. That's my wife. Uh, you know, say sin is removed. She likes me now. But, you know, I, I do bother her sometimes. I mean, it's just a fact. Uh, and and uh, I won't say the reverse is true. I can't say that. But I, I do bother her sometimes. So, you know, we, we do have this, 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 these sin issues in this life. But that day is coming when sin is removed and we will be made fully like Christ. When? When He appears. So at the second coming of Christ. So obviously there's correlation between the, the coming of Christ and being made like Christ, all right? But here's the second thing, kind of the shocking, shocking second 
insight from this passage. There's not only correlation between the second coming of Christ and our being made like Christ, there's causation, causation between beholding Christ and becoming like Christ. Causation. Notice what it says at the end of verse 2. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. That's the correlation. We, we are, this happens when Christ comes again. But here comes the causation. Because we will see Him as He is. Do you see it? So there's something about beholding Christ that will powerfully just, you know, pull us, drive us to want to be made fully like Christ. It's in beholding Him that we see His glory and we are made fully like Him. So I think that Tozer principle is just applied in its fullness. Now when sin is removed from our lives and we behold the glory of Christ, we see and adore and marvel at who He is. Guess what happens in us? We instinctively, naturally seek to become like what we adore, and that happens without sin hindering it. And so we we are made completely like Christ because we see Him as He is. So my friends, that day is coming when we will see the glory of Christ and long to be like Him, be like Him forever and ever. Now, just, just one comment on this. Don't think that that means that we all lose our personalities. You know, that we, we, we lose our own personal identities. No, you, you will be you, but you will be the perfect you with the character of Christ. Not the personality of Christ, with the character of Christ. His character of holiness, of, of righteousness, of love, of, of mercy and grace. Uh, uh, he, he, the character qualities that mark His life will be your qualities of life lived out through your personality, lived out through your particular ethnic identity, uh, and and so on. I mean, we read in the book of Revelation that in heaven, that is in the new creation in Revelation 21 and 22, that there are different ethnicities there, right? Because every tongue and, 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 and people and nation are represented there. We read in Revelation 22 that The kings of the earth, of the nations, come into the new Jerusalem and bring their glory with them. So there is this sense of ongoing national identity, ongoing ethnic identity, ongoing racial identity that that is true in heaven. But what unites us is Christ, where we are all made with His character, now living out who we are through that character of Christ. So indeed, the joy it will be to be who we are, but to be perfect perfect instances of who we are, of the perfect you as Christ remakes you with His character. And that happens as we see Him and behold His glory. Then finally, this is a surprising last element of beholding the glory of Christ. Beholding Christ's glory, Roman numeral 5, an everlasting transformation. Now, this is an interesting thing because I won't take you to the main text first. I want to just build up uh, this a little bit as we move into it. Uh, Interesting thing that we read in Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 26 and 27, that one of the things that God will do to remake us, he says, in, in in that prophecy in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will... I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that a vivid image? Take out your heart of stone, that is that heart that is hard and dead and cold and lifeless toward God. I will take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is alive and pulsating and, and is eager to know God, that heart, right? So I'll take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be careful to observe my ordinances. So indeed, the spirit will work within us forever in heaven to what? To conform us to the likeness of Christ and to enable us to live obedient lives. L listen to the verse again. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. In other words, you will be obedient. You won't ever again chafe at the law of God. You won't ever again resist what God wants you to do. Never again, ever, forever in heaven. I mean, just the glory of that. Your deepest desire every single day, every single moment will be to, to honor God, to live out uh, your, your, your love for Him and to obey Him in every way. That's how you will be in heaven. I can't wait. I mean, this is, this is going to be absolutely glorious. Never again to struggle with sin. So, so the Spirit will work within us, causing us to walk in His statutes. We will be careful to observe His ordinances. Okay, now remember though, why has the Spirit come? To glorify Jesus, right? John 16, 14. When the Spirit comes, He will glorify me. So doesn't it stand to reason that in heaven, the way in which we came to Christ in conversion, how did that happen? We behold the glory of Christ, right? Because in sin, Satan had blinded us, so we couldn't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But when God does this work within us, then we can see the glory of Christ and we come. So the work that God did to bring us to bring us to Christ in our conversion by beholding the glory of Christ, how, how we grew in this life in becoming more like Christ as we beheld the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18, as, as we are glorified in that moment when Christ comes again by seeing the glory of Christ, 1 John 3, verse 2. When He comes, we, when He appears, we will be like Him because... We will see him as he is. Okay, so, so doesn't it stand to reason that that very same principle applies in our everlasting transformation into the likeness of Christ because we see Christ. We behold his glory now face to face and we will be forever transformed as the Spirit works within us to, to want to live our lives in a way that reflects the very character of Christ. Okay, that all makes sense, doesn't it? Now, John 17, verse 24. Turn there with me, if you would, please. This is just kind of a stunning uh, request that Jesus includes in his high priestly prayer uh, when he prays to the Father. I mean, the high priestly prayer in John 17 is just an amazing prayer, and so much of it... Uh, it, would, it would just take us, you know, many, many hours to go through. But I'm just focusing on one little detail. <clears throat> Verse 24, he says this, Father, I desire that they, let me stop there, they. Who's the they? Well, that's, if you go back a couple verses, he talks about not only his own disciples who had believed in him, but he's going back to be with the Father. And those disciples will bear witness of him and, of, of him, and others will believe on what they say, right? 
So he's talking about other believers that are not part of this group right now with the disciples who will become Christians because of the testimony of those disciples and then those who, the, those who are saved from those disciples as they testify and so on. Well, it comes down to us, doesn't it, eventually? I mean, we're here in a long succession of witnesses, of pe- people who have borne witness of Christ going all the way back to the first century. And, and here we are today in the 21st century as believers in the very same Jesus because of the testimony of others. So, the they is us. The they includes us. Okay, so, back to verse 24. <clears throat> Father, I desire that they also, that's all believers, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that, you see that so that in your Bible? In, in Greek, it's a hina clause. Hina referring to purpose. For, for this purpose. You could translate it that way you could translate it for this purpose that okay that what that they may see my glory which you have given me for you have loved me before the foundation of the world now isn't that just kind of a striking startling request father i want those believers all these believers others who have believed on the name of of the disciples here i want them all to be with me where i am so that, for this purpose, that they may behold my glory. Now, I just give you permission ahead of time to laugh at this, because this ought to be something you hear and you go, <laughs> you've got to begin. Okay, here it is. Can, can you imagine if I said to you, you know, after the sermon is over and we finish the closing hymn and, and all that, um, I'm going to come back up here to the pulpit and just stand here and I invite any who want to just stay in their seats and you can sit there and look at me. You know, for, for as long as you want. I mean, you'd hear that and go, what is wrong with this person, right? I mean, what, what, are you, what are you inviting us to do? Look at you. Isn't that what Jesus is doing here? I want these people to be with me so they can look at me. What's different, be, what's different between Jesus saying what he's saying and me saying, you know, I, I'll stay afterwards and you can look at me? What's the difference? The difference has to be that Jesus knows that as they behold his glory, what will happen to them? They, they will see the epitome of what the Father's glory is as manifest through the Son, and they will adore and cherish and marvel and treasure that so they will be like him forever. That's the only way I can make sense of this. And it does make sense when you view it in the context of what else we see in the Bible about how we come to Christ by beholding the glory of Christ, how we grow in Christ by beholding the glory of Christ, how we are glorified in the end by beholding the glory of Christ, right? So indeed, forever and ever, it is as if we are held uh, captive not, not, not in the sense of slavery, but captive because it's so good. Held captive to wanting to be like Christ forever and ever because we see His glory forever and ever in His very presence. So indeed, beholding the glory of Christ then is the means by which we are saved, the means by which we are sanctified, the means by which we are glorified, and the means by which our everlasting transformation occurs, beholding the glory of Christ. A few items of conclusion and application. 
First, sharing Christ. The means of people beholding Christ has to be by hearing of Christ, right? Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? This is Romans 10. How shall they believe unless they hear? How shall they hear unless someone preach? How beautiful are the feet of those. Oh, they, they need to be sent. I, I left that one out. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings to, to, to others. So indeed, <clears throat> people must hear of Christ to behold the glory of Christ. I love this story about William Carey. Do you know that name, William Carey? Uh, considered to be kind of the, the, the pioneer modern missionary who went out to the, the country of India and uh, he was encouraged by many hyper-Calvinists. A hyper-Calvinist, among other things, is someone who says, we are not supposed to call people to believe in Christ. We, we, that's not our responsibility. God will save whom he wants to save, and we have no part to play in that. Well, William Carey rejected that hyper-Calvinist notion and believed that we do need to proclaim the gospel to people. They need to hear it to be saved. Romans 10, I just mentioned to you a moment ago is a case in point, right? People have to hear it to believe in it to be saved. But, but a text that really hit him was John 10, 16, where this is in the Good Shepherd, Jesus and the Good Shepherd passage. And Jesus has, had already said, he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Okay, so the mark, the mark of being a follower of Christ is you hear his voice and you follow him. You, you, you go where he leads you and so on to good pasture and water and so on. Okay, now, verse 16, though, it says this. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, they're mine, but they haven't been brought in yet, right? They're out there. They're scattered around, but they haven't been brought, brought in yet, right? I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They must hear my voice. Remember what happens when they hear the voice of the shepherd? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, right? They must hear my voice and become one flock with one shepherd. So, William Carey pondered that verse. Oh, so there are other sheep out there, others, others that belong to Christ. His sheep are out there scattered around the world. But how, how will they come? They have to hear the voice of Christ. And in his prayer over that passage, it hit him like a ton of bricks. Probably not the best image, but <clears throat> it hit him so hard. <clears throat> the way they hear the voice of Christ is through our voices as they go out and bear witness to Christ. They hear His voice through my voice, through your voice as we bear witness to Christ. And so he realized, I have to go. I have to go to these people of India, be, India because Christ has other sheep there. Then they must hear the, the voice of the shepherd and they will come and become one flock with one shepherd. So indeed, sharing Christ is such an important thing because people have to hear of Christ to behold the glory of Christ in order to be saved. Then, secondly, knowing Christ. The first step in the means of people becoming Christ-like is knowing Christ. So I would encourage you, you know, at least some years ago there was kind of a fad, a Christian fad for a while wearing bracelets included, you know, with WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's not that that's a wrong thing, but it's premature, right? You can't, you can't know what Jesus would do unless you know 
what Jesus is like, right? So what is Jesus like, W-I-J-L, it's my, my initials, what is Jesus like is preliminary to what would Jesus do. So indeed, knowing his character, knowing his word, believing his, his, his promises, obeying his commandments. You know, he said in the Great Commission, teaching them all things I commanded you, <clears throat> even until the end of the age. So indeed, knowing all of that that Christ has taught conforms us more and more to His likeness as the Spirit takes that Word and works it within us to make us more like Christ. So then we can do what Jesus did. That what would Jesus do flows out of a life that has known Christ and not, not anything else. Only those who know Him can then live like Him. And then following, uh, the, the last point, loving Christ. So indeed, the second step in the means of others becoming like Christ is this uh, coming, coming to love Christ above, above all else. Tozer's principle that I mentioned before, that we become like what we love. We, we take on the characteristics of what we adore. So indeed, we become like what we love. So know Christ, love Christ, to become like Christ. So let me just encourage you as we end this message this morning to devote more attention to Christ in your Christian life. Be in the Gospels more regularly, right? To, to see more of who Christ is. Look for Christ in the rest of the Bible as you're reading through and, and see things that are tied to Christ in His coming. Understand um, the K King David as the king who is the lesser king of the greater king, king in the line of David who comes. That the, Moses the prophet, the greater prophet will come greater than Moses. And so see these ties to Jesus and understand the centrality of Jesus and grow in your knowledge of him, your love for him, and through that, by the Spirit, you will be made more and more like him in this life. And the joy of being made more like him means you live more like him then too, right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the hands move. I mean, so, so we, we live out our loves that are within us. So grow to know Christ, love him, and then live more to his glory. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to develop what is, uh, what, what is an amazing truth from your word, and that is that we become like Christ as we behold the glory of Christ. And help us, Lord, to, to really focus more attention as Christian people on the one whom we call our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom the one we are called to follow with complete obedience, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the one in whose likeness we are being remade by your grace by your spirit in the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do this good work, we pray, for your glory and for, uh, for our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.